0: Hi, everyone. This is Steve Douglas, and I'm with Marshall Bolin, and we are talking in uh, goodwill with one another, Um, a conversation between a conservative evangelical and a progressive, uh, as we call ourselves. And we'll kind of pick up from where we left off last time and maybe go a little deeper about where our commitments are and um, some of the challenges with that. So I I guess just getting started here, um, I just ask you, Marshall, why do you think that this conversation is important to have? I think that
1: the whole nation, but probably the whole world, is in desperate need of it. Uh, And by it, I mean a conversation where people who have different ideas on the strategies they want to use to meet their needs can listen to each other and care about each other and let the other person know that uh, even if we disagree on the strategies, we we still want the other person's needs to be met. I I don't have a degree in history or anything like that, but just everything I've ever heard in my 40 years about history tells me that we haven't really tried that very well as a species yet. Uh, We've had a lot of group identity related conflicts. And I'm tired of it. When I've taken the risk to uh, see where somebody's coming from, even when I'm mad at them for the strategies they're suggesting for getting their needs met, I find that the other person has the same needs that I do. Not always in the same situation, but I can always relate to the kind of needs that they're trying to serve. I'm excited about what we could do as a species. Uh, the, the level of connection and cooperation and making life enjoyable for each other that's possible. And then I'm also disheartened by how far we seem to be from that, especially in the last four years. But I don't know, maybe a lot longer than that. It seems like we've just been, we've become more and more divided, uh, especially in this country when it comes to conservative versus progressive politics. And I don't think it's necessary. I don't want to live in a place where there aren't conservative values and progressive values. I think those are both necessary in order to create the, the, the world that we know is possible. That's really good. Yeah, I, I guess I think
0: about that in kind of similar terms um, in the sense that uh, I think there's a tension um, between keeping a hold of some of the things from the past that are important to hang on to. Um, and sometimes I think we're too quick to move away from those and to just forget them um, and, and move away. Um, and at the same time, there are areas where we need to grow and we need to uh, find new ways and we need to have new conversations. Um, and so there's there's a place for both. Um, and there's a kind of a tension that we probably need to keep that we don't keep very well. And we have the tendency to have this bit of a pendulum swing back and forth uh, between two views. Um, And so I really find that happening in politics, especially over the last, well, maybe it's always happened, but uh, certainly uh, in our lifetime, uh, so much of this going back and forth between seeming extremes. But I, you know, one of the things that uh i really like about this conversation um you know i was listening to another speaker recently and and he quoted socrates and and socrates once said that the um unexamined life is not worth living and then they killed him but um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh just the uh uh, I, I think there's something really true in that, that it's important that we examine our own lives, that we examine uh, the things that are going on around us rather than just taking what somebody else tells us. So, being able to converse well on these topics, I think is just super important in our nation and in our day. Yeah. And I really value conversations with people, even those people who are not part of my you know, quote unquote tribe, uh, or, you know, echo chamber. So if you watch the last episode, um, I'm a pastor in an evangelical church. So, um, I'm, I'm, I tend to approach things from a biblical or scriptural sort of perspective. I just wanted to share something that I think is valuable to this conversation that comes out of, uh, Uh, the book of Romans, chapter 12. And Romans is uh, in the New Testament. It's one of the writings of the Apostle Paul. And so what he said was, uh, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love and honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and don't curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another and don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited and don't repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so I think, you know, as we come to these conversations, um, I just want to be mindful about living that way. Yeah. Um, that I, I think it's really valuable to have respectful conversations um, with people who may not come from the same approach and see what can be created and see what good things can come out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where, where the really exciting and difficult work is to be done. Anyone who's interested in being compassionate can come to the approach. uh, They can come up on with the approach on their own of saying live and let live. Hmm. But what happens when You encounter people who have a different approach, who say, I'm going to live and not let you live. Mm -hmm. And so that requires, um, like I said last time, I'll probably say it every episode, I'm sure, a way of addressing harm without creating new harm. So in that passage you just read, I I heard him say, to hate what is evil and then not to repay evil with evil. So that's challenging. I mean, I think it would be challenging even if we didn't grow up with a tragic education, but our tragic education does teach us that might makes right. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the message of most movies and probably just most stories out there is that uh, peace is restored through war. And I, I can think of a better way. But uh, what do you do when somebody is on the aggressive towards you? That's really challenging. And I, I've come to some interesting realizations through the help of other people who have studied nonviolence. And I, I, want the, I want more people to start thinking about what those alternatives are so we can get better at it uh, and not repay evil for evil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that nonviolence, um, you've uh, taught on nonviolent communication, um, yeah. and I've, I've been very blessed to be able to, to sit in on your classes and to, um, to listen to you teach on it, and it's just, uh, uh, I think that's so important. And oftentimes that violence might not be overt violence, uh, where we're, you know, right. ready to fight, but, yeah. um, just, um, even just how we receive things that we can be responsive instead of reactive, that we can, uh, value another person's thoughts and value them, which, um, you know, fits very closely with what I believe as a Christian, that we see other people as image bearers, you know, made in the image of God, and worthy of time and attention and care. Um, And so I think probably that's where we connect so deeply together on those concepts.
1: Yeah, well, we will definitely be delving into that a lot. You and I discussed this episode, we wanted to kind of address some nervousness we had that maybe the tribes that we say that we're a part of might not think of us as being a part of that because some of our (laughs) differences uh i mean just the very fact that we're willing to listen to each other might make somebody from my progressive tribe be like uh what are you doing here you know i've actually heard somebody say that empathy is dangerous and I actually, I know where they're coming from after I thought about it and where they're coming from. They were saying, you know, if somebody's going to harm me, if I empathize with them, then I'm going to be collaborating with them in the violence towards myself mm. uh, or I'm going to be uh, encouraging them or enabling them. Uh, so I was surprised to hear that because I was used to using a definition of empathy that is inconsistent with that idea. And my idea of the the definition of empathy that I use is when you are curious and interested what somebody's needs are without agreeing or disagreeing with their behaviors or their opinions or their positions. And so if somebody comes to me and is upset about something, even if that upsetness is being angry at me. I'm able to empathize because I've been angry with somebody else at a certain point in my life. At other times, I've been angry with somebody else, so I can relate. To me, that's what empathy is. I'm going to relate to this person's anger, even if it's about me, and I never have to agree with their strategies for getting their needs met. So part of my fear uh, of people listening to me and saying, this guy's not really... He doesn't sound like the kind of progressive I am, is just my um, enjoyment of religion and my history with Christianity. Uh, it, it's a favorable one. Actually, when the topic of religion, or just the word religion is mentioned, uh, I usually have a positive association with it. And I, I miss the days when I was more religious. Uh, I was I was caught up in a story that was so meaningful. I I wouldn't trade my path of rigorous honesty and uh, agnosticism, proactive agnosticism. I wouldn't trade it. But the days when I was just a simple card-carrying Christian, those were great days. And I feel like the world is missing something now that we've moved away from religion being more mainstream and now secularism is definitely mainstream. Hmm. And I, I'm not ex- exactly sure how to find my own way back. So I understand how, how my, when I say the world, I'm kind of talking about my world, you know, it's a big world, I don't know what everybody's like, but you know, when I say the world, I mean like America, the places I'm familiar with. Uh, when I was younger, everybody kind of went to church unless you were of a different religion. And in mm-hmm. which case, you kind of went to a synagogue or mosque or whatever it is. And now, uh, a lot of those people that I grew up with, they don't really think too much about religion like they used to. It's not mainstream. I, maybe you have a different take on it. But to me, it seems like there's been a, a shift towards secularism becoming mainstream. And I'm kind of a part of it. But I uh, I feel like something was lost. And I, I hope we find our way back to whatever it is that we we lost that we we could have saved there or maybe we should return to. Those
0: are really good points.
1: I I do resonate
0: with some of that and and yet would maybe nuance some of that. Like for me, I think you and I once had a conversation in which um, you said, you know, you as a religious person and I said, well, I don't view myself as all that religious. And you were kind of surprised by that with me serving as a pastor.
1: Right. And you said, well,
0: explain that to me, you know, and so uh, maybe it's worth explaining here. I Um, think so. So, uh, you know, as a Christian, um, as somebody who and, – and, you know, you and I have talked about that a lot, but, you know, for people who are listening, um, as somebody who – believes the gospel that Jesus Christ uh, was a living uh, actual person, uh, that he's God in flesh, um, come to earth, uh, that he died for our sins, and that uh, he actually was resurrected, um, that he came back to life uh, after three days and is eternally living and has sent the Holy Spirit into the world um, for the purpose of redeeming humanity to God. And that not being just a set of doctrinal things to assent to out there somewhere, but that it is an actual relational element in my life that, that I believe that I, I have basically conversations with God. Um, you know, it might not be, he's sitting on the couch right next to me. We're just having a face-to-face like or like you and me, but um that I get a sense um, that he is active and living and directing my life and um, that I'm in communication with him regularly and asking for that direction. To me, it's more of a relational sort of aspect rather than so much traditions, doctrinal statements, even though some of those are very important. I guess my approach would be a little different in that I'm not so concerned about, the recapturing of traditions. Hmm. Um, But I'm more concerned about maybe the recapturing of hearts. Yeah. Say it that way, that uh, which might feel like a more aggressive sort of uh, a thing. Right. Um, But it's not meant to be. It's meant more invitationally that as, as a believer, it would be my hope that, anyone would come to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and that that is what we would call a saving thing that, it, that people are transferred from one place in one kingdom to another. Obviously that cannot be an aggressive act. Um, that isn't something you can force on someone. So, you know, things like the crusades or whatever, you know, like the, that doesn't square with scripture to me. Um, this is God basically giving us a love letter and saying, Hey, come, come back to me. And so when we've moved away from something, I see it as, as a culture we've moved away from that relational element with God. Um, And that's the thing that I lament. Um, Yeah. And so I'm not so worried about the traditional aspects. I'm not so worried about religiosity, if
1: that makes sense. It does. And yeah, that resonates with me. So yeah, I'm not too heartbroken over the loss of specific traditions either. I just feel like when people were more uh, engaged in those traditions, they did connect to the reality that those traditions are trying to point toward. Hmm. I think people were so literal in their presentation of what, what this religion has to present that uh, a lot of people said, well, no, I mean, I can kind of fact check that. And, you know, I, I don't really believe that Noah fit all those animals into the ark and all that stuff. Hmm. Then the, the, so there, there, there were the people who were holding on to the really literal interpretation. And that just was uh, kind of an unbridgeable gap for a lot of people. And so a lot of people said, well, what really is going on? What's the value of any of it? And left. And I get that. I think that was a a brave move towards being honest and being willing to engage with uncomfortable facts that might challenge your uh, worldview and identity to consider. But now I think I think there's just another religion going on with uh, secularism. It's almost like we can't escape being religious somehow, but now this is more of a mindless one. Uh, And by mindless, I mean, people think that they're not being religious when they kind of are, you know, people, Mm -hmm. my, my whole life who have been very scientifically minded people and skeptical have kind of given me this attitude of like scoffing like oh you believe that well here are the facts but they don't actually steer me toward the facts they don't they don't take me through the explanation of what it is they want me to understand they're kind of asking me to just believe what they believe but out of fear of being scoffed at hmm. and so that kind of reminds me of the same problems of fundamentalists saying oh you know you think that all of this exists because just for no reason that we live in some kind of vacuum well I don't know whatever the answer is it's uncomfortable to me and (laughs) it's it's fruitful to think about and to discuss and be honest yeah you know I
0: value that so highly and I think that's one of the reasons why you and I have such fruitful conversations is um I guess a part of me has always approached things maybe a little bit more that way. Um, So, um, you know, skeptically, or maybe that's not quite the right word, but uh, critically, I think one of the things that's been kind of hard in my uh, sphere, um, my tribe, is I think there's been a knee-jerk reaction against um science or or uh rational thought in a lot of ways. Uh, I know some people might bristle at that, but um when it comes to scripture it's sort of like um well there's rational thinking and then there's faith. And and I see that on both sides with secularists and people of faith is they accept that you have either rational thinking or faith. And to me that that's already a non sequitur, it's already a no-go because I really value a rational faith, um, a thinking faith, like one that invites you in to examine, uh, one that invites you to think deeply and go, what does this mean and how does it impact the world? And do we see these things fit also to examine genre? You and I've talked about that a bit. And I think that's a really important part of the conversation. The whole Bible is not written exactly the same. Different sections of the Bible fit under different types of literary genre. And it's meant to like the authors wrote in different styles with different intentions. And so, it's kind of dangerous when we approach, say, the gospel, uh, you know, uh, the gospel genre, the same as historical literature genre compared to uh, Psalms, compared to um, early part of Genesis, compared to apocalyptic literature like the book of Revelation, Daniel, parts of Isaiah. The differences in genre help us to interpret things more correctly. Just for a really quick example, in the Gospels, we'll just take Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, We'll take John out of it for a moment. Um, In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, um, there's a lot of similarity, a lot of the same core, But sometimes something winds up here in one gospel and there in another gospel and people might go, aha, see, uh, they're not being honest and maybe it didn't happen at all. Right. And but they're failing to understand the purpose of gospel genre, which is basically to give a convincing case for what Jesus said and did and that he's basically a king. Uh, He's a a coming king establishing his kingdom, and we're trying to tell you about this king and convince you of his lordship. And so um, it isn't about when exactly this happened. Did it happen on Tuesday, January 14th? And do all three corroborate that it happened on Tuesday, January 14th? Or is it trying to get across the extent of what he said And they're packaging it into the place where it makes the most sense for their purpose of communicating their argument. Yeah. Uh, So understanding that genre kind of relieves some of those tensions. Um, But if we don't understand it and we're just looking just for the facts, then there's going to be challenges.
1: It's It's a difficult text. It's an ancient text. Mm -hmm. Uh, With a lot of different genres, like you said, and it's hard to read it without knowing some context from without the Bible. I can understand why people can get overwhelmed by it. So what's been hard for me is uh, I I didn't grow up religious. My dad is a, a passionate atheist and my mom is kind of spiritual, but not religious. Uh, she came from a Catholic family. And actually, my dad, uh, he's, he's the son of a preacher. And I remember when my sister and I were really young, they tried to take us to church once or twice. And we were so bored. And we asked them to stop that. And they said, OK, we're not going to take you to church. So I didn't really, I didn't grow up with knowing the stories of the Bible or anything like that. One of my friends invited me to go to church camp when I was 14. And for that, I needed to get a Bible. And so I started reading it on my own. I resonated a, a lot with, I just kind of jumped right into the Gospels. Just for anybody who list, listening who doesn't know what that is, that's the stories of Jesus's life. There's four of those in the New Testament. Uh, I had my words of Christ in red version. So it was easy to just kind of flip through and see, oh, this is what Jesus is saying. And man, that was really good stuff. I mean, I, I've always been drawn to things that are, things and people who are iconoclastic. And this was a, a person who was iconoclastic uh, with, um, I don't know if humanistic is the right word, but just uh, everybody's best interest in mind. Uh, he, he was willing to be iconoclastic for the, for the sake of everybody. Mm. And I, I couldn't think of anything better, anything more attractive. So as I uh, started to really be influenced just by reading about Jesus without knowing any, you know, having any preconceptions or anything, I started to look outward and say, who else is into this stuff? Oh, yeah, maybe I should go to church. People go to church. And I encountered other people who who were on the same wavelength as me. But I also encountered so many people who didn't seem to have read the Bible or know what was going on in it. And they acted so opposite to what I had interpreted in there. I just stopped going to church eventually. So like what you were talking about earlier with the relational part of it, I live in that. But um, I'm really flexible about the form that that takes. Uh, So I I still see myself as in a dialogue with something greater than myself. Uh, I still see myself as uh, here for a purpose and that love and care are the the highest goods. Um, But I don't really have any formal religion or doctrine about it at the moment.
0: Sure. Well,
1: I, you know, there are parts of that that I
0: resonate with. And, you know, I think sometimes when we put the form in front of the function, um, you know, it's sort of like some people kind of view god as portrayed in the old testament as very different from jesus so much of what jesus taught was the old testament law and what he was doing was he was removing so many human traditions that they had drawn around the law off of it and saying no this is god's heart in this and and it was sort of mind-blowing to people because they had been so focused on the traditions and the laws and, the, and the, the, the form that they lost sight of the function. And I think it's just easy for us as human beings to do that. I mean, it, not just Christians, but everyone. Um, to get so focused on our forms or our policies or our strategies that we lose sight of the, the basic reasons why. Yeah. And maybe that leads back to what you were asking earlier about why why might some of our tribe not see us as card-carrying members of the tribe, right? (laughs) Is uh, because I think both of us are looking for the function rather than the form, Uh, rather than we're, we're willing to bend on the strategies in order to maintain the kernel of what's at heart. Yeah. When we do that, we risk... Uh, that kind of echo chamber or that kind of tribal mentality that gets so focused on the form,
1: yeah. And I hope that yeah, no one has t- tuned out already, uh, who's a progressive maybe, maybe this listener is uh, uh an atheist or a skeptic or uh, had a, a, a traumatic experience with religion and doesn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, I a lot of my friends, probably more than probably like 75% of my friends could fall into that category. And I, I feel a kinship with people who are doubters, who are skeptics, who are, are willing to look at anything critically, even if it means being uncomfortable. I want to bring everyone who's feeling that way along for the ride. So, um, you know, I... We just talked a lot about Christianity, and I'm interested in it, so we probably will do some more, but I hope you stay with me. Um, I'm not just posing as a progressive. <laughs> I, I'm i secular. I'm rebellious. I, The thing that drew me away or, you know, that put me off from ever being conservative in any form that could be recognized is, I mean, when I was growing up, conservatism meant... Thinking of yourself as bad and thinking of art as needing to be policed all the time. And um, I'm an artist, I'm a musician, art is how I, is my primary way of interacting with reality. And when somebody says to me, uh, you can't do that idea because that's, uh, well, they call it evil and I don't see it as evil. Well, now there's a tension there. And to me, that's what conservatism was growing up is uh you got to be careful. I mean, one of my friend's fathers was a pastor too. And uh this was when I was 13 and getting into heavy metal. And he was really worried about, you know, some of the six, six, sixes and pentagrams and stuff on my shirts and on my CDs. And before I went to a sleepover, he, he rifled through my CDs and said, okay, you got to take this one back in your room and wouldn't let me bring it into the house. That was incongruous with what was, in, what was alive in me. I've never met somebody who actually is satanic. Uh, for, for the people that I know who make music that uh, is, is dark and is intentionally uh, talking about satanic themes, they're doing it in a rebellious way. And uh, they don't actually, when I was a Christian, I would confront people about this. And I would say, so, I mean, I associate Satan with like uh, abuse and rape and stuff like that. I mean, to me, that's what Satan is. And is that what you're into? And of course, nobody's like that. Uh, what they like is uh, putting a boundary up, saying I'm, I, uh, your religion was putting boundaries around me and I'm not standing for that. And I kind of want to throw it in your face. And as I get older, I'm less interested in throwing anything in anybody's face. But uh, I see that that's what's going on. Every metalhead I know is a sweetheart, really. <laughs> Even if they have 666 tattooed on their chest, uh, I've never met a metalhead who wants a, you know, a tyrannical one world government that is uh, run by Satan, Literally. And, and I, I think it's relevant to talk about this because yep. uh, I have other conservative friends who are very scared about things like seeing a 666 on a shirt or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I would like to get beyond that. And I, I w- w- if I'm going to be really harsh about it, I think it's actually a red herring that detracts us from, I would say there are things about the way money itself works that are pretty satanic. And if we're busy worrying about T-shirts or uh, kind of these scandalous breaking of folkways, you could call it, or I don't even know if moray counts, just uh, doing something that's kind of socially um, on the outside. I think we're getting distracted from talking about the things that really are satanic.
0: Actually, I would agree pretty much 100%. I think sometimes, uh, you know, just looking critically at my own tribe, sometimes uh, our form can actually become the thing itself. And, and therefore it becomes an idol, what we'd call an idol, you know? And so Jesus condemned the religious leaders more than anybody else. Um, he was actually far more open to people who were searching, people who were failing in different areas, people who yes. uh, lived on the outskirts um, and literal pagans, right. than he was with, you know, uh, toward religious people and religious leaders in his own, um, you know, in the temple. And, yeah. uh, and I think there's a reason for that. Um, and so when you mention things that are satanic so often, I find that it's um, it's getting things out of order and creating an idol out of out of form that really guts the gospel, really guts what Jesus was trying to get across, and that oftentimes religious people can wind up in those places. And you know, we can think about all the harms that we've seen. Um, within churches uh or you know we let's just be honest we've we've heard so much about priests or pastors who've victimized children or you know all of those things and uh you know as a pastor myself it's just like if anybody deserves a pounding right (laughs) (laughs) it it makes me very angry um uh not that i want to go pounding people but it just it makes me very angry and, and it breaks my heart. And so I long for things to be different too. Yeah. Which is yeah. why I value these conversations.
1: Yeah. So um, what has been hard throughout some of my life regarding interacting with people who are conservative has been how I think that they might be viewing me. You know, if I make some art that is intentionally meant to shake things up is meant to be disconcerting or challenging or um, dark um, if somebody says man i'm I'm worried that there's something wrong with you," and they might say that by saying, "You know you've got demons around you or something like that that is incongruous with what my lived experience is, and uh it's hard to want to be friends with somebody who thinks that they know my motivations even better than I do. And I would imagine that there are a lot of conservatives who feel that same way about some of their liberal friends. I think
0: that's part of this conversation that I think both sides feel misunderstood yeah. and misrepresented by the other. Yeah, You and I were uh, had a really brief Exchange recently, where we were talking about in groups and out groups and there was an article um uh, talking about in groups and out groups and i'm I'm blanking on the the, the name 17? of the author uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah that was a really good article and i I feel bad that I don't remember the name of it right offhand, but uh, we can look that up but uh um I thought it was really helpful that one of the th- points that they were making was Oftentimes, it's not people way out there that we consider the enemy. It's often the people who are really close to us with a little bit of nuance or just a little something yeah. different that are nearby. And those are the people that we are suspicious of, or those are the people that we then vilify. And we're Americans and we share so much. And yet, sometimes slight differences, um, and and I would say race is a slight difference. Um, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. some people might not agree with that, but I think it's a social construct more than it is actual physiological differences. Yeah. Um, and so it creates subcultures. It creates all these these things that then divide us, or you know, progressives and conservatives. We're Americans, We, like you've said, we generally want the same things. It's just, we disagree on strategy on how to get there, but it's so easy to divide and create barriers of hostility and, uh, you know, throw things at each other rather than seek to understand each other and really hear each other.
1: Yeah, um, when I uh, look at Fox News, what gets me angry is not that there are ideas that are different from my own, but it's the characterization of people who want what I want that gets me angry. And when I put myself in the position of conservatives, I think there are a lot of news sources to get angry with for that same reason. Um, I think about The Daily Show and The Colbert Rapport. For somebody with progressive values, those shows are really good in the same way that venting can feel good. But if you go to a party and you (laughs) vent and you don't know who else is listening, there's likely to be somebody who disagrees with you. And sooner or later, the venting turns into an argument and it doesn't feel good anymore. And when yeah. I watched The Daily Show back in its heyday and the Colbert Report, some of those things felt uh, vindicating, but I just thought, this is, this is not good. You know, uh, I can only imagine being conservative and having every inconsistency, every hypocrisy of, of anybody who was uh, a conservative politician uh, thrown in your face and made fun of. And often it was clever. And... I would be full of rage if I was conservative and I turned on the TV and saw those. And I think that created, uh, I don't know if created a vacuum is the right way to put it, but it opened the door for echo chambers to exist where people could really be separate from the world of progressive news, but also the legitimate facts and science that are still a part of these news sources, even though they, they can be biased progressively. If you, if you turn up, if you go to ABC news or CNN or whatever, and you're infuriated at the way that you're being characterized, you might throw out everything that they're saying, and you might be susceptible to going into uh, an alternative news source that can kind of say anything and you will trust it.
0: Yeah, I think that's the danger of an echo chamber. I think you're right that it, it really has been developed by our news sources, uh, it's, uh, the editorial nature of how news has progressed. Um, I do find quite a few conservatives going like, I'm not going to trust n- any of the news, uh, main." mainstream news sources anymore. I'm going to go find my news elsewhere. And often it's through social media things that are really, really dubious. And I find myself going like, whoa, you know, and I I try to be pretty broad in where I listen, you know, um, Mm -hmm. to, and I feel like I have to these, these days, if I'm going to figure out what, is real and what the truth is i need to listen to liberal sources i need to listen to conservative sources and kind of those who are moderate in between and this kind of broad swath and then you'll get these things where it's like oh no haven't you heard and it's like this really conspiracy theory kind of thing and i'm like none of these guys are saying that same thing and this is Coming from left field or right field, wherever, and, <laughs> uh, and so, and I think it's dangerous um, because if we're going to still echo chamber, but now we're going to go to alternatives um, that aren't well sourced, um, or aren't scientific, or aren't you know these things, that that's it gets us into dangerous territory. Yeah, and. Um, but I think a lot of that is because of what you've talked about, that uh, basically people are upset that they are being typecast yeah. uh, or ju- prejudged.
1: Yeah. And But it happens on both sides. I like to try to act the way that I wish other people would act. And so when I'm with my liberal progressive friends... I like to be extra critical because I think it's a good idea to be the first one to pick on your own group before the other groups do. And so I was saying exactly what I said earlier to some of my friends about The Daily Show and the Col- Colbert Report, and uh, one of them got kind of offens- offended, and and this friend grew up in um, a really rural area and moved out of it because he didn't like the... Um, stultifying conservatism. And he, he said, hey, Rush Limbaugh was doing that before The Daily Show existed. And I, Yeah, that seems like that's true. Uh, I, I've never really given Rush Limbaugh the time of day, but um, okay. I guess I just wanted to acknowledge that too, that um, those, those editorials that the people are writing are very exclusive they're, they're excluding to anyone who disagrees. And then when, uh, when people hear that they feel rebellious and they tune out and they go somewhere where they're welcome. Hmm. And now that opens the door for somebody who really is, um, a wolf in sheep's clothing to say, here, here's the real facts. I don't know how we move beyond that. To be honest, uh, So this is part of it. Yeah. Um, I hope that that being ends.
0: yeah, I, I, I hope that this will be an opportunity to have deeper and broader conversations and to actively start taking some of the bricks out of the wall that's been built up so that we can have better conversations and come to a place where we can understand each other better. And so hopefully over the next several episodes or more, um, that we can start kind of doing that and look at this brick by brick and kind of see where can we have helpful uh, honoring conversations both ways.
1: Yeah. I just kind of characterized someone who's conservative tuning out of mainstream media and then missing out on some legitimate facts. What about the other way? Are there things that I'm missing out on because I don't read any conservative news sources?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I th- I think so. Um, well, just for an example, I was reading an article in U.S. USA Today, which I think of them as kind of moderate. I know some probably kind of think it's a little bit more conservative, um, but the authors were uh, talking about where did COVID come from? The thrust of their argument was um, that experts are saying that there was no Chinese real involvement. This wasn't at all developed. It it, it was only from a natural source Um, and it doesn't really matter. Look the other way. Uh, Let's just focus on vaccines. Mm-hmm. I actually wrote to them and I just said, well, you know, as you used your your scientific experts in this, none of them came to a really definite consensus that this, it was impossible that this was man-made. Um, and you sort of didn't look at some of the claims about a military virology lab in the area. And, mm-hmm. and so some of those things where other reporters have talked about that. And so um, are they are they being fully open and honest and and if there is Chinese involvement uh, with if, whether it's a mistake and something got out and is spread around or that it was an intentional release, i'm I'm not trying to get into conspiracy, but, then the Chinese government has a responsibility and the world needs to take a look at what are their policies. And, um, because it has had an influence and millions of people have died. Right. Um, And so there should be some pressure put on the Chinese government to police themselves.
1: So it sounds like you've heard some credible claims that maybe there is some intentionality behind the development I, of the virus itself and that's where it's
0: questionable how much is credible right now uh china is not very open about uh any of these things and it took a year for them to allow any outside um researchers in and by a year after the fact how much is scrubbed we, we just can't know um and so and, and we don't want to do an argument from silence, right? That's not good science or good philosophy. But um, there's been at least some reporting that there's a virology lab in Wuhan. Hmm. And so what about that? This is a virus out of Wuhan. Uh, seems like a big coincidence. Hmm. And at that point, then it's speculative, right? Yeah. But I'm using that as... An example of like there are more conservative uh, sources that are saying, Hey, really examine this stuff. And then I feel like there are uh, less conservatives that are saying, Oh, just ignore that. Let's just focus on vi- uh, vaccines. Well, yeah, of course we want to focus on vaccines. We want to focus on getting out of this. But how do we prevent the next one?
1: Yeah. So in your mind, it's easy to believe that. If, if it turned out that there was uh, some kind of intentional development of the virus, that some of these more progressive leaning mainstream media sources would not report it? I think if there
0: was just total incontrovertible evidence, they'd report it. I think that I am suspicious of editorialism. Mm-hmm. Um, that fits within a certain political objective. Yeah. Um, On both sides, honestly. And I think we need to be open to seeing that on both sides.
1: I agree. And I would like to be more open. So do you have a, a conservative news source that you think I would benefit from reading? I'd get back to you on that sure. yeah <laughs> uh
0: i I have a few that I read um but uh so like world magazine, I like them.
1: Um, I haven't heard of that,
0: yeah, so it's it is more conservative um lean's Christian, that's kind of where some of their perspectives are coming from, but I think they also do really good in depth research, and so I like them, so yeah. it's editorialized from that perspective too. So, yeah, like I said, I try to kind of keep it broad.
1: I'm technically okay with a news source saying, hey, we're going to be intentionally editorializing, but uh, it would be great if there was a, a robust public commons of news sources that were trying to be as unbiased as they possibly can. Yeah, I could use a lot more of that. Uh, yeah, you know, I think one thing is, if if we're
0: honest with ourselves, we can see the editorialism happening. When statements are made that are sort of unsupported, or we mentioned sometimes feeling uh, chafing a bit at the editorialism. Um, so I've just noticed um, the way that people have reported on Trump. From the very beginning, I I haven't, I've admitted to you that I'm not a big fan of Donald Trump, and um, I found a lot of things offensive in his presidency, and there are some things that I've agreed with and been supportive of. I wish he had never uh, gotten a hold of Twitter, but but, um, from the very beginning, how negative people were about Donald Trump. Uh, in every single thing that he did. I, I didn't see a lot of positivity. And then I've just seen in the last week how the same news outlets have portrayed Joseph Biden. And it is glowing praise. It is finally, finally, we're free, you know, th- this sort of a thing. And the way that they report, and even the way they, they convey facts has a different slant to it i see the editorialism yeah and you know i think we're really adept at seeing the other side's editorialism do we also see it on the side that we tend toward or do we glom on to that yeah Yeah. do we glom on to that and say ah see this is the truth you know (laughs) this is what i'm going to (laughs) cling to
1: so to me what is easy to glom onto with that discrepancy is I was just afraid that Donald Trump was willing to be a dictator. Hmm. I was worried about uh, taking a a step backwards from, so I see our American system of government as uh, having some flaws that bum me out, but I think that it would be way worse to have a dictatorship. Yes. Yes. And I was afraid of that. And so when I see that discrepancy in the way that they're portrayed, I do see the problem there because I don't think it's going to convince anybody. I think it's only going to push people away. And I wish people would think about that when they're editorializing. But uh, I do think it's good to say, hey, this is not normal if we are seemingly heading towards something that could be a threat to our system of government uh, and towards something that would be a worse system of government. And honestly, I think that Trump was a product of all this
0: editorializing and yeah. and this this uh, creating this hostile, you know, this hostility yeah. between sides, um, and and even the fact that we see such a narrow, you know, such a divided nation, almost 50-50, I think that just is displaying uh, a hostility. And that's what produces somebody like a Trump uh, presidency, um, where I can't imagine, I, I, to be honest, I couldn't imagine that he became the, the front runner for presidency in the last cycle. I was shocked, to be honest, and was frustrated and has made me examine a lot of things about the Republican Party and, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, which again, card carrying member, right? You know, (laughs) 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 but, um, but at the same time, now are we going to swing the pendulum back the other direction? And I think conservatives are probably rightly concerned about that. Can you tell me about what that looks
1: like? What you're hoping doesn't happen?
0: Sure. Um, I think that, the reason for the capital, uh, we're, we're gonna have to probably put some of this in a future episode. Sure. Um, but the, per, the reason for the capital um, riot is because I think a lot of people are concerned that a more progressive or maybe further leftward leaning uh, president, will do a lot of both financial damage to our country, but also um, take away a lot of religious liberties. Oh. Right now, I think some people have a narrative of a culture war Hmm. um, between, uh, especially over sexual ethics um, and and sexual identity, um, but on a number of different places too. I think some people see uh, their culture slipping away on them. Yeah. Feeling very condemned and unwanted within their own communities that they kind of felt were always theirs. And they're not totally wrong. But, you know, in some places, like I said, I'm conservative. So I think there are some things worth conserving. And yet there are some places where maybe we need to let go of a few things, um, but we need to have conversations about that. Um, yeah. And I just think that there are some who say, no, we shouldn't have any conversations about that. Right. That's a, that's a non-starter. Mm-hmm. And so we will fight to keep it, But, but there's a certain level of, of anger and vitriol that I just don't think is helpful. So yep. we may not come to complete agreement on this, but, do we need to move toward war? Right. And right now, I feel like there are some who are saying, absolutely, that's where we're heading and we're gearing up for it. And I just think that's, you know, as I mentioned you know, with Romans 12 um, before, I, I can't speak for every conservative. I can't. There are plenty of conservatives who are not Christians. Um, but at least for Christian conservatives, I think that we're held to the standards of scripture and uh, what Jesus is commanding us as believers, and that doesn't look like culture war.
1: Yeah. Thanks for listening to episode two of In Goodwill. I'm Marshall Bolin, and you've been listening to me and Stephen Douglas chat about various issues from the perspectives of being a conservative and being a progressive. Join us next episode for further conversations.